You guys can have a seat. We're gonna continue our series in the book of Acts. So if you would do me a favor, take out your Bibles, open up your Bible to Acts chapter five. Dan did a fantastic job last week that I was like, man, how am I gonna um, follow up on that one? He sure did. We're gonna be in John chapter five. We're gonna take a big chunk of scripture this morning and the reason is because the story um, is pretty lengthy. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. That is our gift uh, to you um, from us. Um, If you don't own a Bible, you can turn uh, to page 913 in that pew back in front of you. And you know, um, one of the interesting things about this passage, we're gonna be in verses 12 to 42, the next section of of, uh, Acts chapter five. And you know, I was thinking about this and um, thinking about the early church, right? I mean, like these were incredible, bold individuals, right? Like, would you agree with that statement that the, the early church, they were bold individuals, they were willing to face adversity, I mean, they were willing to suffer persecution, they were willing Um, to do whatever it took to advance the gospel and they were not afraid of the consequences. And there's a small part of me, right? There's a small part, in fact, not a a large part of me that wishes that we, the church here at Akron, were like the early church, that we were ferocious with preaching the gospel, that our people would be so fervently seeking to share the gospel in their homes, in their communities, at school, and at work. And then I said to myself, but I don't really want to die for it. Do you feel that? Like, I want to see the gospel shared with everyone, but there's a small part of me that's like, I don't know if I really want to die for it. And, and the early church seems to, to indicate in the book of Acts that, like, that the early church was willing to die for it. And then, and then I started to think about church history, right? Like, when you think about church history, church history, the, the church has always suffered violence. And then I started to think in our own culture. Like, it's not easy being a Christian. I think we have this fake facade in the church, what I mean, not, not this church, but the universal church, like, as though being a Christian is easy. You know, I had a student, um, a former high school student, call me up late Friday night. Um, he texted me, and he said, listen, we need to talk. Anytime a high schooler texts me, we need to talk, I drop everything that I have to do because something is going down. And... Um, this individual doesn't live in town anymore. He's going to school somewhere else. So in, immediately, I go into anxiety, panic mode. I get the low hum in my stomach, and I said, yes, call me right now. And then I'm waiting for him to call me. He doesn't call me. So then I immediately like, all right, I need to go get dressed because I need to drive a couple hours because something bad happened. Do I tell a mom? Do I tell a dad? No, 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 no. Like, you know, when high schoolers call me, they're not telling mom and dad something bad is happening. They're calling me because they don't want to tell mom and dad. So like I'm waiting for him to call me and I'm nervous. 
and I'm anxious. Now, you can't tell them that I said this to you, and I probably won't say it in the second service. I love these kids like they're like, like my little brothers and sisters. I love them. I like, I love them. But they can't know that because I'm really stern and hard and they're not supposed to know that I love them and I will die for them and I would do anything possible to keep them near me. They don't know that, um, so don't tell them. Um, so then he calls me and he says, listen, I'm in, I'm, in a, I'm in a predicament. I said, what's the deal? He said, I've been sharing the gospel with this girl. She won't come to the gospel. She won't accept Jesus. And I'm like... Okay, like, <laughs> this is good, <laughs> no problems, like, I'm excited, and I'm like, then there's like this like little giddy, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, he's sharing the gospel, like, I didn't waste the last three years of my life, <laughs> and he's telling me, and this is what he's telling me, he's like, I'm sharing the gospel, but she's, she, this person, my friend, she, she doesn't want to give up this, and she doesn't want to give up this, and give up this, and give up this, and, and I don't know what to do, and, and I want her to come to Jesus, because I can see it happening, like, she's way different than the way she was before, she's willing to come to church with us, with our group, and she's doing our Bible study, she's not a Christian, and I'm just watching, and watching, and waiting, nothing I say is working, I don't know what to do, and by the way, this is like at 10, 11 o'clock at night, on a Friday, I'm like, dude, you should be watching TV, or, like, you should be doing like, you know, donuts in the parking lot. I don't know. You're in college. You're not supposed to be worrying about Jesus, I guess. I don't know. And then I had to tell him, I said, like, this is not on you. Her coming to faith is not contingent on how well you present the gospel. Her coming to faith has everything to do with the work of the Spirit. You just get to a front row seat to see how God's going to do it. You don't know if he's going to do it now, a year from now, 20 years from now. On her deathbed, you don't know. It's not your job. It is the work of the Spirit that's going to save her. You just be faithful to what God's calling you to do. And I told him, don't be weird. Like one of the big things that Christians do, that we get weird. Like we get so weird because like we, we tend to treat unbelievers like Christians. Like they need to do this. They can't talk like this. They can't curse in front of me. They can't do this in front of me. And it's like, stop being weird. Like if they're going to hear the gospel, if they're going to see the gospel, you need to be there. That doesn't mean you do everything that they do. But you got to be there and not be weird. And that's what I was telling them. Don't be weird. Share the gospel. Share the love. Don't try to beat them over the head with the gospel. Live your life, what God's called you to do, and when the Spirit gives you an opportunity to, to talk, speak, because it's not you talking, it's Him speaking. Just don't be weird. We get off the phone, it so happened. Okay, here's the T. Um, if you don't know what T means, T is a euphemism. The youngsters use this term of like, here are the details of the story, like this is the gossip. He's talking on the phone with me. Guess who comes knocking on the door while we're on the phone? His friend. And they're like, hey. And, you know, his roommates, and they have a group of friends. Hey, you guys want to hang out? And he was like, yeah, I'm on the phone. I'll be right back. I was like, dude, get off the phone. Go hang out with your friends. Like, go be the gospel there. And I was so excited. Because I was like, man, 
Like, this is awesome. This is what it's supposed to be like. You and I, in the muck, in the mire of people's lives. You and I invested in our community, in our church, in our, the, the lives of our children, their friends, the school system. Invested in so that we can be the light. We can tell them about Jesus. We can share the hope. Got really excited, and then I read this passage. And I said to myself, this is not me. This can't be us. I think one of the biggest struggles that we're all going to have in this room, look at me for a minute. One of the biggest struggles you and I are going to have going forward, we've been having it for years, is are we willing to obey God? Everywhere, every time, for all people. Because listen, look at the problem, and I've said this before, society in the world doesn't get better. It's not supposed to get better. It's supposed to get worse. And the church is on a, we're on defense. Like if you're thinking about a football game or a basketball, we're like, we're on defense. We're never on offense. The church has suffered great violence. And we, the church, should be like my former student, eager to share the gospel and not cower away. But here's the cost. There's going to be a cost. Because we live in a postmodern, a post-Christian world, right? Like years ago, it was, it, was, it was socially accepted to go to church. Now it's like to go to church is like there's a stigma on it, right? To share the gospel at your workplace, like it's, it's one of those things that that's not tolerance, right? You, you can't do that. And you and I have to be prepared, right, at all costs to do what God's called us to do everywhere, every time for all people, because life is not getting better for them, nor is it getting better for us. And we see the example in the book of Acts. What do you think happens in the book of Acts? Well, we just read about it last week. Think about this. The church is under great persecution. God decides that he wants to smite Ananias and Sapphira for their sin. At, the, at, chapter, at chapter 5, verse 11, what does the Bible say? Great fear came upon the church and all the people who heard about it. This is not a good time to be telling people that Jesus loves them. But what does the church do? They do it anyway. And how do they do that? Look at verses 12 to 42, especially the first uh, couple of verses 12, 13, 14 through 16. The church in Acts is becoming increasingly visible. God has already punished Ananias and Sapphira for their deceit. Great fear has fell, fell upon the city. And here's what God does by the power of the Spirit. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, 
multitudes, both men and women. So this morning, we're going to look at the church's obedience. And what do we see in the first couple of verses? What we see is, despite the fact that two people have dropped dead because of their deceit, they decide to continue to do the work of the ministry. They decide to continue to obey God. And and for us this morning, we're going to be encouraged that it is important and is essential that you and I are committed to the gospel, that you and I are committed to obeying God. No matter what happens, no matter what obstacle, no matter what attack we face, you and I need to be committed to proclaiming the gospel everywhere, every time, to all people. Why? Because they did it. Let's look at the church's obedience. One of the things that we see in the first couple of verses, 12 to 16, is that they were obedient to proclaim the gospel. And the way they did it is through signs and wonders. Now, I want to say this. Signs and wonders, I've said this before, signs and wonders for the Jewish culture was only means to validate the authenticity of the gospel. Many people in our culture today in certain denominations would say that we need signs and wonders. You have to remember something about the Jewish people and their history. Genesis all the way to Malachi, signs and wonders, right? Think about it. The second person of the Trinity visiting Abraham, the angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, the opening of the Red Sea, the snakes, the, the pillar of fire, right? Like, think about it. The anointing of King, King, uh, King Saul, the communication between King David and God, and, and the promise that of, uh, he's going to give him an eternal king. Like, think about it. Like, the entire history of the Jewish community from Genesis to the last prophet has always been signs and wonders. That's how God communicated to his people to authenticate his, his plan, his purpose, and his reality, right? That has been the history. So the reason why we see signs and wonders in the book of Acts is to authenticate the gospel to the Jewish community. This is very different than the Gentiles, Why is this different for the Gentiles? Well, who make up the Gentile nation? The Greeks. What were the Greeks known for? Philosophy. So how does the church, particularly Paul, communicate the gospel? Well, through philosophy. Read the rest of the New Testament, right? Like, in Romans, he's not explaining all the signs and wonders. Why? Because the Greeks, the Gentiles, didn't care for the signs and wonders. That wasn't part of their culture. But wisdom was part of their culture. So Paul preaches through wisdom, through, through philosophy, right? Like, he speaks eloquently. The signs and wonders for, are for the Jewish people. So why is this passage important for us to understand? Well, it's because... God is telling us that the gospel is going to go forth to all people. And the gospel was meant to be preached to the Jews first. 
Secondly, that he uses signs and wonders for the early church as well as to bring unity among the early church. It was necessary that the church in that time for this purpose would be unified together because they were going to have to face obstacles and adversities together. It was important that they collectively stayed together but also theologically, philosophically, stayed together. Why? Because disunity, disunity impedes and prevents the gospel from being proclaimed. If we here in this room are not together under one vision, under one purpose, then you know what happens? Selfish pride, individualism, begins to be the primary purpose by which we do ministry, right? Like, if we weren't unified under the banner of Christ, under his vision and his desire to see the church move forward, then this is not about him. It's about me. It's about us. It's about the chapel. It's about the past. It's about the great history of the chapel. And let me tell you something. I have a great respect and honor for the history, the rich history of the chapel. But let me tell you something. If the rich history of the chapel is not unified of where God is taking us, then we need to drop it because we need to move forward with the gospel, not tradition, the gospel in unity. What we also see from the signs and wonders is that not only was the church unified, but also that they were able to continue to do ministry. Think about that, right? Like their faithfulness to the Lord, despite the fact that Ananias and Sapphira had passed away, like they were committed in unity, but also committed in ministry. It didn't stop them. And that should be encouraging to us because when we face obstacles, <clears throat> when we face adversities, when we face trials, when we face hard seasons, we stand unified on the gospel, under the gospel, and we continue to do what God has called us to do. Because let me tell you something. Our world is going to hell. And guess what? If we're worried about what's going on with us or our individualism or our ideology, if we're not concerned about what God is doing in our city, in our culture, in our church, then those people get to miss out on the gospel, right? Now, it doesn't mean that we forget and we move on. It doesn't mean that we don't lament and repent. It doesn't mean that we don't um, think about what God is teaching us in the moment. It just means that we're focused, that we're going to move forward, and we're going to pro proclaim the good news, and that we're going to be obedient to God before we're obedient to anyone else. Because the gospel has to move forward. The people have to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And if there's no one to preach, how are they going to hear? Well, then you and I have to go out there to proclaim the gospel. So the church was unified. They continued in ministry. Why? Because they were obedient to God first. And remember, the religious leaders in the past had told them, don't preach in the name. Stay silent. So what do the apostles and the church do? 
They preach the gospel. Not only that, they go to the temple to do it. Solomon's portico was a part of the temple. So what do they do? They go to the temple. That's like us, honestly, like going to a mosque or going to a Jewish temple and saying, hey, I want to tell you something about Jesus. Like, that is crazy. And yet they did it. So what are the results of their obedience? What are the results of the apostles' obedience to God? What are the results of the obedience of the church? Well, we'll see. Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So what is the result of the church's obedience to God? Resistance. You know, we have a diluted understanding of Christianity, which we think that if we do good deeds unto God, for God, for his glory, that somehow he will repay us back with, with health and prosperity and protection. That's not what happens in the book of Acts. They were obedient. Remember, right? Remember the mandate, Acts 1.8, right? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what is the result of their obedience? What is the result of them being faithful to the Great Commission in Matthew 28? What is the result? Imprisonment. Sometimes, sometimes, if not all the time, the church, when it's faithful to God first, is going to experience resistance. And I can't help but think about the church in China or Iran. That they would be committed and faithful to the proclamation of the word and their reward is torture, pain, resistance, death. I mean, I just can't imagine. I mean, what, what if like you, like family, parents, like you are Christians and you were in the church in China or in the Middle East and they came in and said, listen, renounce your faith or I'm going to kill your son and daughter. What would you do? I can't imagine being in that position. I can't imagine, you know, I think about the high schoolers, right? I don't have any kids, praise the Lord. But I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine, right? Like, if they came in here and said, like, you need to stop proclaiming the word of the Lord or all these kids are going to die. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And yet the church in China and Iran are willing to say, kill me. We've been blessed, don't get me wrong, like the American church in America has been blessed. But I don't wanna be a Debbie Donner. I think those days are behind us now. I think we gotta choose if we're in or out. I'm being dead serious. We gotta choose now. Are you in or are you out? Because if you're out, the people who are in have a lot of work to do. Because the promise of the early church wasn't wealth and prosperity and health, resistance. 
Tensions grew stronger between the Jewish Christians and the religious leaders. In fact, that it was so high. Think about this, right? Like These are the same group of individuals who crucified Christ, right? These people have blood on their hands. They're okay with a little blood spilling, and they're okay if 12 men died. They did it before. The early church was met with resistance. Growing tensions between the apostles and the religious leaders were really high. And they responded. They responded by being faithful and obedient to God. You know, the funny part about this passage is that that the power that the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin now, um, the Sanhedrin was the council by which um, were they, they were the ones who put the apostles on trial. The Sanhedrin were a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, predominantly Sadducees. Sadducees were their upper echelon wealthy men of the Jewish community who had collaborated with the Roman government. So the Jewish people kind of didn't like them, but because they were wealthy and powerful, um, they sat and ran the, te- the temple. And the Pharisees also did the same. They collaborated together. The, the, the Pharisees were more doctrinally sound. We would categorize the Sadducees as like, like um, theologically liberal, right? Like they didn't believe in two things. There were two major things they didn't believe in. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the body, and they didn't believe in angels. There were their two primary doctrines that they didn't believe. And also they were collaborators with the Roman Empire. So what happens? The Sadducees and the Pharisees called the Sanhedrin, right? This is the group together. Put the apostles in prison, and they're about to put them on trial. And what happens after? Look at verse 19. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple. Speak to the people with all the words of this life. The irony of this passage is that God uses the very thing the Sanhedrin didn't believe in. That he uses an angel to get them out of jail. And then what does he command them to do? To preach about the life. What were they going to preach about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. God it's funny, right? I think he's kind of be funny in this passage. Because he's like, oh, you don't believe in that? I'm going to use your unbelief to testify of my power. And while the Sanhedrin used their political power to influence the Jewish community because they were fearful and afraid of the apostles, God used the spiritual power to get the apostles out of prison so that they could proclaim of the life. We, the church, rely not on political power. We don't, we don't rely on political power to advance the kingdom. We don't rely on, on our physical power, on our earthly wisdom to advance the kingdom. We rely on a supernatural power that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit that the gates of hell cannot prevail. We rely on a power that comes from the Spirit that gives us boldness to proclaim the gospel in all places. We rely on a power that doesn't come from the White House. It doesn't come from the UN. It doesn't come from the mayor's office. It comes from the throne of God. We rely on a spiritual power. And the spiritual power comes from his word. So while they used political power and the church suffered violence, we rely on spiritual power that says 
the man that sits on the throne is the one who sent the angel to get us out. And what do we proclaim? The life. That's the power that we rely on. That's the power that they relied on. So what is the result of their obedience? Resistance. But also, too, a result of the apostles' obedience is boldness. Look, jump down to verse 29. Here's what happens, right? The apostles are arrested. They're put in prison. The angel releases them. And what do they do? They run back to the temple to finish the job they started. And then guess what the Pharisees and the Sadducees called the Sanhedrin want to do? Like, they have no clue that they've escaped. They're about to have a trial. And the apostles go and preach the life. And then they have to send the temple guard to go re-arrest them. But here's what happens. The captain of the guard is afraid because the people are listening. The people are listening. So the Spirit of God in a moment gives them great boldness to proclaim. And then guess what happens? The captain secretly tells them, hey, I'm going to arrest you, not in public, because there's going to be a, an outcry here. So they rearrest them. They bring them before the Sanhedrin. And once again, the Sanhedrin tell the apostles, you cannot preach the name because people are going to think that we're the ones who crucified him. Uh, you did crucify him. They didn't want to take any responsibility for the evil deeds. And that's how sin is, right? Sin would have you believe that you are the victim at your own cost. Look at verse 28, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They won't even say his name. They can't even say his name. Verse 29, man. You know why I love Peter so much? Peter's you and me. Everyone celebrates Paul because Paul, man, he was a great writer. He wrote most of the New Testament. I like Peter. Peter was rough around the edges. Peter denied Christ. He cuts the ear off of the temple guard. He was brash and bold. He was harsh. And, and he was... He was sinful. He denies Christ three times. And then look what Peter says. This is beautiful. This is a testimony of the Holy Spirit. He said, look at verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are a witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, who God has given to those who obey him. Here is Peter, the man who's denied Jesus three times, the man who was rough around the edges, no formal education, and he's the guy that says, we got to obey God and we can't obey man. That takes real courage and boldness. That doesn't come from ourselves. That doesn't come from our character. It doesn't come from our personality. It comes from the working of the Holy Spirit. 
the result of their obedience is boldness. And here we have Peter, someone that we would say we would never admire or mimic, but Peter is the one that says we must obey God rather than men. And, 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 and that should be us this morning, right? Like, as our culture grows further, further away from Christianity, as we become more, more divided politically, we should be the people that say, we must obey God and not man. We must declare the gospel of what God has said in his word, not what, what man has said. We are the ones who have the, the life we are the ones who have the truth and is beholden on us to proclaim it to everyone, everywhere, all the time, to all people, no matter what it costs us. But like I said to the high school, my high school buddy, we're not, not going to be weird about it. It doesn't mean that we start going and we're brash and we're just preaching the gospel and telling people like it is. No, it means that we live our life according to scripture. It means that when we have opportunities to share the gospel, we do it. We're not here with, with, with big signs at our workplace saying, accept Jesus or go to hell. No, we're here to say, hey, can I tell you about somebody named Jesus? Can I tell you how I'm anxious and fearful and yet I have hope? Can I tell you? How my life has been crazy the last 10, 20 years, but I have seen God's faithfulness. God is faithful, and you can trust him. God is faithful, and you can trust him. That is the message of the gospel, that we have life because someone else gave it up for us. And it doesn't mean that life is perfect. It just means that we have a way out. All people, every time, in every place, with boldness. Here's another result of their obedience. We'll see this at the very end. Look at verse 40. There's a Pharisee in the Sanhedrin council named Gamaliel. He was a wise man. He's probably um, the greatest Pharisee during this time, apart from Paul. Paul would say he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Um, Paul studied actually under Gamaliel. Gamaliel says this. He says, gentlemen, if this is a work of the Lord, he's going to see it through. But remember, we've had people come before and testify they were messiahs. Look at this person. He had 400 followers. He died, and they all scattered. We had this other individual. He died, and his followers scattered. If this is the Lord, he will see it through. And essentially what Gamaliel is telling them is that you don't want to be standing before the Lord, God the Father, and impede on his work. So in that moment, though the, the Sanhedrin were angry and bitter 
at the apostles, at the advice of Gamaliel, even God uses unbelievers to do his will, right? Like, isn't that beautiful, right? That God would use anybody, anytime to execute his plan, execute his purposes, regardless of their decision, right? Like, God uses Gamaliel to help the apostles get free. So the Sanhedrin decides that they're going to release them. But look how, look how messed up they are. These are scoundrels. These are not like, these are not like, they're like worse than our politicians, right? Like, like they're worse than our politicians. Like, our politicians are bad. All of them, by the way, I'm not picking a side. All of them are, all of them are bad. Like bad. But the, they're worse, right? Because they're, they have blood on, they're willing to kill people. I mean, some of them are politicians. Anyway, I don't want to get... I can get conspiracy on you real quick. Anyway, um, they're bad. So here's what they do. Okay, we're going to release you. And what do they do? They beat them up. Right? Like, like as, as this wasn't enough, like they've already, they've already persecuted them enough. No, they have to go beat them. They beat them up. Why? Why do they do that? Because of their jealousy. Another result of the apostles' obedience is violence. Why am I pointing this out to you? I'm trying to show you that it's going to cost us something to proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's going to cost you and me something. It's not rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns here. It's going to have to cost us something. To obey God and not men is going to cost us something. People are not going to like us. Remember, like, they're not supposed to like us. They might persecute us. They're doing it in China. They're doing it in the Middle East. We might have to suffer great violence and adversity to see the gospel move forward. And you have to decide if you're in or you're out. You can't have... One foot in and one foot out. You got to choose, and you got to choose today. You should have chose years ago. But you got to choose now. And you know what's the response of the apostles? Look at verse 41. Look at their response. The response of, their, of the violence, of the brutality, of the resistance. What is the response? They just got beat up, and this is not like... Pow, pow, pow. No, this is like, hey, we're going to take you to the back alley. And if you have a broken leg or elbow or kneecap, that's okay with us. Like this is, they beat him up bad. And what's their response? And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor in this name. Wow. Is that you this morning? Are you willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to risk my reputation, my wealth, my family for the sake of being called a Christian? Is that you this morning that's willing to say that if a day came where we had to pick Christ or the world, are you ready for that decision? Because they were. A result of their obedience was joy. Joy for what? Joy that they were counted to be, to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to have this honor. Think about that. In the culture, everyone thought that these people were crazy. 
They were ostracized from their communities and even family, and they rejoiced. Are you willing to rejoice when people reject you and the gospel? Are you willing to have haters? I mean, the American dream has blessed us in many ways with wealth, protection, shelter, family. But one day that's going away. Are you ready to make a decision for Christ? What should be our response? Right, like we read this passage, we think about our culture and our world, we think about that, that, that our culture and society is becoming anti-Christian, and what is our response? Our response should be the same as Peter's. We're here to obey God and not man. But it will cost us something. What should be our response is obedience. Our second response should be a passion to share the gospel. Like, if you're not passionate about sharing the gospel, you need to do some self-evaluation in your own heart. Now, that doesn't mean we get crazy with it. It means that we become the light to a dark world, to all people, all the time, every day, showing them the light, telling them about the light, and being okay if they reject us. Now, if there are rules at your workplace that impede you to do that, then you ought to follow those rules, right? Because the Bible has already communicated that we're under the authority and submission of our government and our local leaders. The only time, side note, the only time in which we are to disobey our government, the only time that we are to disobey our leaders is when our leaders impede, thwart our opportunity to live by the word. The day our government decides you cannot live by this, you cannot preach this, you cannot be this, is the day you and I are gonna have a different conversation. That day, <laughs> it's going to be a long day. That's the only time we are to disobey our government. When it impedes us to live by this, to honor this, to worship God, to proclaim the gospel. That's when we disobey our government. Until then, you grind your teeth and you submit. And you pray. And ask God to do a miracle. I know that's hard. So what is our response this morning? <laughs> Obey God and not man. When? Every day. Right? That's what it says. Look at verse 42. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. When are we to obey God? When are we to share the gospel? Every day. Where? Every place. What? the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready this morning to proclaim the gospel to all people? It's not only about going on a mission trip. It's about living it, being it, showing it. You don't need to get a picket sign and start protesting it. You don't have to protest against unbelieving morals and ethics. You just gotta live and be the light. And you'll see people transform. Let's pray.
why don't you take a moment in the quietness of your heart and, and, and ask God, God, what are you calling me to do? What, who are you calling me to talk to? Who, who do I need to tell about the gospel? Who, who needs to hear the message of grace and love and truth? you also too, Lord. Ask the Lord, like, Lord, how have I impeded the ministry of the gospel? How have I kept silent? What? Ask the Lord to show you. He would do it. He, he will give you the, the wisdom and insight to, to understand and know. Father God, we come to you not only with praises on our lips and praises in our hearts, but we come to you with contrite hearts asking you, God, to, to give us boldness to proclaim the good news of your son, Jesus, that, that we would have the boldness like Peter that says we will obey God and not man and that we would do it in wisdom. God, would you, would you show us the people who need to hear it? Would you give us the boldness to share it? Would you help us realize that, that we're on mission with you and, and, and you are expanding and growing your kingdom and we are flawed individuals in your toolbox? God, would you help us see that? Would you help us understand that? And would you give us the ability to know in a way that we haven't known before, that, that you are the God who transforms lives. And it's not about a formula or a, or a path or it's not a plan, God. It's just you. It's, it's always been you and it will always be about you. But God, give us the bonus to proclaim. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, this morning, we're going to have pastors up front to pray for you and our prayer team up front to pray for you and really seriously think, seriously think of that. Who are the people that, that God has placed in your pathway to proclaim the good news? And, and, if, and if, if you don't have a passion for that and if you're afraid, pray to the God who's gracious and loving kind to give you the power to do that. We're excited that you guys are here this morning. We hope to see you back next week. Go in his peace. Be blessed. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.